0: You have me very worried. You are the first service over the course of this entire series that watched that bumper as though it was painful and you didn't laugh. (laughs) So I'm sorry for what I'm about to do. We're just going to have to do this. For those listening online, you can participate. But you need to look at the person next to you and give them one reason to be happy today. I'm giving you 10 seconds. Come up with something. And tell them now. <clears throat> All right. You're going to be happy and you're going to like it. <laughs> so what we've been doing for now, this is the third week in the final week. We've been talking about how to be happy and, and you got to choose it. If you've missed this, if you're brand new to church or, or you just uh, enjoyed your summer too much, and now you're like, okay, what have we been talking about as a church? How to choose happiness? Because I don't think, and I think you would agree with this, is that we don't know how to choose happiness as well as past generations were. And so many times you and I will wake up and our circumstances tell us too much. They, they determine too much for us. And so we dove into the first week talking about how it's likely that you, what makes you unhappy is timing where life is not playing out in the timing you want it to, and that's frustrating. And then we got into nuts and bolts, and we talked about, if you grew up in church, called the Beatitudes. And in one sermon, sorry for that, we talked about all the Beatitudes and and what happy people do, and how they actually live a life that way. This week I'm going to go at, how can you be happy no matter what? Like, is there something in life that you can hold on to, latch on to? That no matter if you're in the midst of a storm, no matter how your marriage is going, no matter how your job is, no matter how school starts, no matter how things are, at home or away, whatever, can you latch on to something that no matter what storm you're in, you can be happy? And I would say yes. I'm going to share that with you. So to do so, I've got to open up talking about substitutions. I have been told by people that if you eat healthier and you are healthier, you are happier. So I'm giving it a try. So what they've told me is, here's David, here's how you start to get healthy. You need to take some of the things that you really enjoy and substitute it because it's not healthy for you. Substitute it with someone that's equally as good, but it's healthy. I'm like, all right. So I've been given ideas. Here are some of their ideas that I think are stupid. <laughs> I've been told that if you're going to bake something, You can switch out sugar, take it out. I'm thinking, why remove sugar? It's amazing. It's been doing a good job for a long time. And you can put unsweetened applesauce in it. I'm like, well, one, I I really don't bake a lot, so move on. Then I was told if I were to make brownies, which I'm like, I love brownies. Brownies are wonderful. They said, well, here's what you can do. You can take the flour, instead of doing flour, which I was like, flour's fine, and you can put black beans in place of flour. So I stopped talking to that person and moved on. (laughs) And then I've got staff members who have made recommendations for me. I don't know if you do. it. Our family likes to have a a taco Tuesday night. It's just easy. It's simple. It's cheap. We've been told that you could take those wonderful, glorious, soft tortillas and not have them anymore and replace it with big pieces of lettuce. (laughs) They seem to enjoy it. I don't. Now, now I, ha- I have taken something. I, some of you are like, you don't listen to anybody, Dave. No, that's not true. That's not true. And in fact, I, for a long time, have enjoyed a good latte each day, sometimes more than that, but at least one each day. I love it. And I was told if you switch to an Americano, that would be a little bit healthier. I've done that. I've had to learn to like it. But it's been good. Now, we've got to deal with a couple ones, though, that are problematic and are anti-American and somewhat cult-like. So you need to pay attention. If you like mashed potatoes, who likes mashed potatoes? Does anyone like mashed potatoes? I'm sure the people online right now are like, "I'm making it right now. Love mashed potatoes." <laughs> One time, we go home for dinner. This was as a kid, my mom always made the same thing every Sunday afternoon. Love it. Roast beef, mashed potatoes and green beans. That's how life was intended. One time we got home and we sat down at the dinner table. I mean, you could smell the roast. It's amazing. Mom's done an awesome job. And I look at the big bowl of mashed potatoes, but it looks different. A little lumpier. Same color. A little lumpier. I thought, maybe she's just having a bad day. Didn't have a chance to really like, prepare this right. Put it on my plate. and like, that does not look like potatoes. I took a bite. It was cauliflower <laughs> masked as mashed potatoes. Some of you think, oh, this is how you do it. You, you replace mashed potatoes with cauliflower. No, stop it right now. (laughs) The only way to make that work is to dump cheese on it, which then you just nullified the whole process, right? (laughs) Now we really gotta deal with the problem in America. I know some of you are watching politics and you're scared. You're like, what are we gonna do as a country? You're wondering, who do I choose and all that? There's a bigger problem. Some of you have replaced bacon with turkey bacon. (laughs) And I've talked about this before and you're not listening. Because they're still selling it. And the only reason they're still selling it in stores is because you're buying it. So stop it. <laughs> and stop calling it turkey bacon. It's not bacon. You're either eating turkey or you're eating bacon. And you should be eating bacon. <laughs> now, I would love to continue to go through all of this for the rest of the time together. But we don't have time. But if you've ever tried to get healthy, you've had this conversation. You've tried to get rid of things. Maybe you stopped having real sugar and put some sweeteners or whatever you did. But most of us understand that you've had that conversation where you start to switch things out. Like, I used to do this, but I can't do that anymore. It's not healthy anymore. It's called the principle of substitution. It's not like a spiritual thing. It's been happening for a long time. If you want to get healthy, the principle of substitution, putting something healthy in place of something unhealthy. This is how you do this. If it's just working out, you replace sitting on the couch with doing something active, all that kind of stuff. You know that and I know that. That's normal in life. This idea that there's times if you're going to be who you're supposed to be, if you're going to live life the way you need to live life, you're going to have to take some of the unhealthy things in your life, remove them and substitute it with something healthy. What I have learned is this is not just a health conversation though. I have learned throughout my life that when it comes to not just your body but your soul, that you need a substitute and I know for some of us like I need a in your your soul listen is not good enough to get to heaven on its own. You are not good enough and I know you're like this sermon sucks. You are not good enough to get to heaven to be with God on your own. And when it comes to our soul, we need to have a substitution conversation. Now let me show you how this helps us understand in the bible Matthew chapter 3 then Jesus from came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John now again I've shared this before but let, let's give everybody on the same page Jesus the son of God the one who who came for us then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized You're like, is that a 20-minute walk, 10-minute walk? No, it's a multiple-day walk. It was a trek involved an overnighter out in the open in tents. It was an extreme trip. It was not easy. He went a long ways to be baptized by John. It's fascinating to me that Jesus, of all people who we think, well, he didn't really need to be baptized, got baptized. So you better be thinking already, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, have you made the choice yourself to be baptized? Jesus did. But if you read your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of that New Testament, give different accounts, all agreeing upon each other, but helping us understand the full context. So when we see Jesus came to get baptized, there was more that happened and got said. I'll jump over to John 1.29. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At first glance, you're like, that's a weird greeting. It should be. I mean, some of you are like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. No, you you would never come to someone that you don't know all that well because Jesus and John have not been hanging out a bunch. And you would never see someone that you show up to to work your first day, hey, lamb, what's up, elephant? No, because you're going to get beat up if you do that. Don't do that. But the idea of all of a sudden ascribing nicknames to people is not something that you initially launch with with someone you don't know all that well. And John sees Jesus. He could have said hey, look, it's Jesus, or hey, look, it's the rabbi, or it's the Messiah. He could have said a lot of things, but he sees Jesus and he says, hey, look, it's the Lamb of God. That's a pretty potent thing in that context. To you and I, that's a bit weird. We would never use that greeting. But in that context, when John is saying it, he has full intention of saying those very specific words for you and I to glean something because culturally, the word lamb or the idea of a lamb was a big deal. Here's why. Because it was set up for thousands of years that if you wanted your forgiveness, if you wanted your soul to be covered where you could be accepted by God and accepted into heaven, then a lamb would have been brought and sacrificed on behalf of your sins. Which is pretty extreme. (laughs) Some of you are like, so a cute little lamb had to die. Yeah, yeah. Hebrews 9.22 even gives us more meaning in this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In today's culture, like, you can't just say you're sorry. Sorry. Because nowadays we think that, like, I I apologize, move on. But all of us know that when someone does something wrong, saying something isn't all that's needed. There needs to be uh, what's called repentance or a change of behavior. And for thousands of years, it was well known and practiced that when you sinned, something died. That's why sin has been a big deal. Let me walk this even further. It's impossible to be made right with God without a sacrifice. It's impossible to be made right with God. And some of us, whether you're new to church or not, you've probably processed it a little bit. You want to be made right with God. What does it mean to be made right with God? That means when you die, if you are right with God, you go to heaven and you spend a lot longer time in heaven than you did on earth, and it's absolutely amazing. It's impossible to be made right with God without a sacrifice. Why? Well, I can tell you why. God is perfect, and we are not. Now, I know if you're a healthy individual, you agree with this. God is perfect. God has never sinned, never done anything wrong. It's something that you and I can hardly even get our minds wrapped around. God is perfect, and not a single one of us are. And imperfect and perfect can't hang out together. Unless the imperfection has had a sacrifice. And it's got to be a perfect one. So, for thousands of years, God set up a system before Jesus ever arrived. He set up a system because he wanted everyone he ever created to join him in heaven. So he said, Here's what I'm going to do. You're going to have a sacrifice system. Here's how it worked it was in the tabernacle. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a tabernacle. It it changed amongst time, but but this was a basic one. In fact, this is set up even now for people to go view it. But this is a basic tabernacle. You'll see that it was for a transient group of people. They were wandering. They moved around a lot. So the fence, everything could be set up and torn down. It was all made specifically according to what God said to do, certain length and width and all that. In here, the Holy of Holies, if you've ever watched Indiana Jones, you, you get a little bit of that. But inside of there was a place that you could not access. Not A normal person, it'd be a priest at a certain time of the year, could only go in there. And in fact, he was so scared to go in there, they would tie a rope around his waist in case he died while he was in there, they would pull him out, that's how that worked. That's how scary that job was, no one signed up for it. What happened was this. Let's pretend, this is a hypothetical situation. Let's say you send this week. I know, you're like, I don't relate. Let's say you send this week. You would take your whole family here, the leader of your home, usually the father, and you would bring your best animal, not the one you're like, yeah, we don't want to eat that, or that's not going to make good money for us at the market. You brought your best, the one that would have made you the most money, and, and you brought that, and the father would have brought that with the family to the front gate over here. The priest would have greeted you. The priest would have been right there and be like, all right. And the priest would have checked over that lamb to make sure that you're not lying. Would have made sure that it it was a lamb perfect. No blemishes, nothing, absolutely perfect. When the priest would then say, accept it and say, yes, this is a perfect lamb, he would only invite the leader of the home, the father, to come with him to a slaughtering table. There would have been tables set up around this big box. The father would have set the lamb onto the table and the father would have killed the lamb right there. The family would have heard the noise. The priest would then take the lamb and set it into this box, this altar, and would have burned it as an offering to God. The family could then go home knowing their sins had been covered. See, I'm going to tell you, many of us, Don't think sin is a big deal. God just says, hey, don't worry about it. And that's not how God treats sin. And if you don't deal with your sin now on on what you're going to do with that, if you don't deal with it now, you will regret that forever. And in fact, God loves us so much, He refuses to downplay our sin because He refuses to devalue His love. So you don't want God to downplay the wrong that you've done let me example it this way I think this makes sense if you've ever been a parent or watched parents had a parent you understand this because if you have children that ever do wrong I know that some of you are like I don't relate well I relate to that a lot let me give you an example (laughs) I've got three kids our three-year-old is full of stories that I get to share with you our three-year-old his name is Titus And he loves now to talk back. It's glorious. Our three-year-old loves to say no, loves to not do what you want him to do. It's great. It's a wonderful time in our home. So here's what's been happening. I'll say, Titus, go put your PJs on. It's time for bed. He'll look at me and be like, no. I'll count to 10 internally. I just need a moment. And then i got to change my wording. He obviously, obviously, it didn't translate. Titus, go put your PJs on right now. And you change your tone, you get a bit more forceful. And here's what he's been doing lately. Five minutes. <laughs> and it's so cute. Five, five minutes, Daddy. What he's saying is in five minutes, I'm like, one, you don't even know what five minutes are. Two, this is really stupid of me to argue with a three-year-old. So I begin to backtrack. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. okay." No, right now, go get your PJs on, and he'll go to his room, but he won't put his PJs on. I mean, any three-year-old you know makes it through their doorway, and they're like, wait a minute, Superman and Batman. What did Dad say? I don't remember. And starts to play. 15 minutes later i'm wondering where is the kid i go into his room he's playing he looks at me like the earth has just stopped all life is ending i'm like you're right buddy and i will take my son and i will set him against the wall and i said i want you to sit there i want you to sit there for a little bit now now some of you like oh but he but he's three yeah he's three and he knows right from wrong and i would not be showing him love if i said hey no big deal And the next thing, you know what we would do? Repeat that whole scenario. And the next day, he would get worse and worse. And then he'd become a teenager. Oh, my. I will tell you, I show him a profound amount of love when I tell him that his choices have consequences. God refuses to downplay our sin. And you should be grateful for that. Because is it a sign of love? So I'll take you back to what I said earlier. God is perfect, and we are not. So I'll ask you some questions for you just to think about internally. So what have you done with that? What have you done with the reality that you are not perfect, and you cannot access heaven unless you do something about it? Some of you have been like, well David, I'm going to church, I'm doing all these nice things for these people, I'm giving money, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, no, 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 that's not the answer. The Bible clearly says that. And so for thousands of years, what's been called the good news has been spoken all over the world. It has transcended all cultures, this good news going everywhere. Remember I told you the beginning, how do you get a hold of a happiness that no matter what storm you're facing, no one can take it away from you, no one can steal it from you, rob it from you, it can't be destroyed. What sort of happiness can you find that can defeat all things? I'll show you. First Corinthians tells us about this good news. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I'm going to stop here. Some of you have believed something that's not true. You've believed that by your good works, you can be made right with God. You have believed that because you have spiritual relatives, that you can be made right with God. You believe things that just flat out are not true, and I will tell you, the Bible is clear. The only way to be made right with God is to trust in Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So here's the good news. Christ, Jesus, Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Day, Just as the scriptures said, that brief moment of good news has been distributed and has defied all odds. Because it's real, it's true, and it's good. And for thousands of years, it's helped people no matter what, not as a crutch of religion, but a reality of eternity. My question for you is... Have you lost all happiness because you haven't owned the substitute for your sins? See, when John's saying, it's Jesus the Lamb, he's like, hey, look, it's the substitute for us because we're not perfect. But that man is. And he's saying, look, it's Jesus who's going to be the sacrifice for all mankind's sins. What you do is you own that good news. And many of us think it's more fragile than it is. We're wondering, well, I haven't been good this week, so uh, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I've lost that. And you get insecure in this whole moment going, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I get to go to heaven. And, and you're wondering, I, I believe that he, he died and was buried and he rose from the grave. And I'm trying to own that as much. And you get insecure. Let me help you. Romans 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I mean, you want this good news to submit in. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Don't tell me you've never wondered that. When things don't go well, you're like, are we still good? Or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things that are nasty and horrible, overwhelming victory is ours through who? Christ Jesus, who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And he's like, just in case you didn't get it, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, some of you, though, are a bit skeptical. And you're like, so you're telling me that Jesus died so I could be happy? No. Jesus didn't die so we could be happy, He died so we could be forgiven and you can find happiness in the midst of any storm when you remember, no matter what stupid choice you've ever made, Jesus died for that sin. And I would tell you, many of us have let our happiness go out the window because we are not remembering the fact that God, for some reason, decided to intervene and say, You're not good enough to save yourself, so I'm gonna give you a substitute. At Fountain Springs Church, we don't gather to be church. We don't gather around to try to get our preferences met. We gather because it's messed us up, the idea that someone would substitute. Someone would substitute for us. So it's the mission of this church to show you who Jesus is, because if you know your substitute, hello for a different world. (laughs) So I ask you some questions. Do you believe that Jesus sacrificed for you? Let's go more personal. Do you believe that Jesus is your substitute? Because you have got to wrestle down the answer of that because it impacts your eternity and where you go. And if you think like, whoa, that's extreme. No, it's true. And I love you enough for us to gather like this and ask you that question. Do you believe Jesus is your substitute? Because if you answer yes, you have discovered a happiness that no one can take from you. No circumstance, no person, no paycheck, no disease, nothing can take it from you. And you can have a horrible day and go to sleep going, yeah, but I'm forgiven. And if you've never experienced that kind of peace, I wanna invite you into it. So let's do this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you have never owned the forgiveness of Jesus, accepted him as your substitute. I want to invite you to do that now. So, privately and quietly, you can say these to God. I just want to help you with words. So, just say this to God. God, I'm sorry for my sins. And I believe today that you are my substitute. That you paid the price for my sins. I believe you died for me and that you were buried, and that you rose from that grave. And I hand my life over to you. God, I'm yours. Take control. Fill my life. God, as a church, we tell you that we are grateful. It doesn't even seem adequate, but we're grateful for your sacrifice. God, we love you. Thank you for grace and mercy. And it seems most appropriate, God, that I just say, we pray all of this and we do all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.